Maggie. Hello. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you too. It's been way too long. It's been way too long. Do you know that you were one of the very first people I met in Los Angeles before I even moved here? I remember. Do you? Yes, because it was at Kathleen's house for her birthday party. And, uh, and we sat around the food table. <laughs> we did. Talking. We did. And our kids ended up going to dance class at the same place. At, mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And uh, so Maggie, yes. I, I spoke to you for like two seconds and I don't, did we talk on the, yeah, we talked on the phone yeah. and, and I said, so has there been stuff in the, in the pandemic? And you said so much stuff. So you have, so so tell what, what, it, how, how did you do so much stuff in the pandemic? Well, you know, when, when the pandemic happened, when the shutdown happened, uh, you know, alongside my acting career, I direct a large community choir in Los Angeles called the Golden Bridge Community Choir. And, uh, and I've been doing that for 17 years now. And so I was in the middle of a session working toward a concert with a hundred people uh, oh in this choir, and they'd already paid me for the session. So as I saw <laughs> the writing on the wall, I thought, um, there's this thing, I think there's this thing, and it's called Zoom. And I, and I called my friend Debbie, and I said, can you come over and help me get this on my computer? Because I don't know what the hell it is, but I think we're going to have to use it. And so uh, we did uh, that. Are you like me? Had you ne I had never Zoomed before. I had never. no idea what Zoom. Yeah, never. Never. So <laughs> My friend Debbie, thank God for her, she was tech savvy enough to come over and help me download it and show me what the heck it was. And then I reached out to everybody and I said, look here, and nobody else knew what it was either for the most part. So, you know, we sent the link, we did the thing. Um, I'm fortunate in that a lot of, uh, in the in the years of running the choir, at a certain point, point, I began to upload sound files for my choir onto my oh. website. So I have, so whenever we were, most of the songs that we were learning, I had recorded files for where I've sung all the parts and I've put that up on the website so people can practice or listen or whatever they want to do. So I really had this, you know, this tool in my back pocket that I could use on Zoom, even though it was completely untried and untested. So here I have, you know, all these folks who were in choir would come and meet us, meet me on a Sunday, mute their microphones. I would play the track on my side, maybe play a single part, maybe play all the parts together, and we would sing. And we had been practicing. Everybody already knew the music. So what we really were doing was just staying together until that session was over, whatever that was going to look like. And in the meantime, I posted a little snippet. I took my phone. I'm like, this is crazy. And I took a little video of the choir singing, all their mouths moving. And you could hear the recording of this song from Haiti that was in five parts of harmony that was playing from my computer. So it kind of looked like the choir was singing. And of course, this was a brand new visual for most people. So I threw it up on Facebook and I said, you know, we're, we're hanging in. And all these people said, wait, what are you doing? How do I do that? I want to do that. Can I do that? Uh -huh. and I thought, well, I'm not ready, you know, to open the choir up. It, this has felt like this intimate village that had to stay together. So uh, at that moment, I, I just, I don't know, I woke up the next day and I thought I'm going to start something for everybody. So I started an event called Together in Song and I ran it every Saturday for the entire, you know, all of 2020. And I had 4,000 people come from all over the world and each week I would invite three other musicians, song leaders and, and song, singer songwriters to come join me and we would lead the world in song. And I had about 85 guests over that year's time. And I had, as I said, 4,000 people. We had people coming from all over the world to sing with us and the word, the word spread. And it was just 
amazing. And that that exists now as an archive on my website that people can purchase for you know for a lifetime. Okay, so tell tell us um, tell us where to go. It's at goldenbridgechoir.com where all of my music life lives, goldenbridgechoir.com. Which and is what your Facebook, I couldn't find you on Facebook. I didn't think sorry. to put in Golden I forgot. I forgot. Okay. I hide I'll in the Golden everything. Bridge Choir. I, I, do have a pub, I do have a public Instagram too. That is. You uh, have a very public Instagram. I found you yeah, there. That, yeah. that exists under yeah. Maggie Wheeler underscore official. But anyway, my music life is such a huge, important part of, of my world. And, and I was very fortunate that in the midst of all of this upheaval, I created something that that was like was just a solid um you know rhythm of life we all everybody knew that on saturday you could come to get together in song and after i finished that choir session i reopened choir and i opened it so i continued choir on sundays and we did a, i don't know three three or four virtual concerts with guests and virtual videos and okay wait my question yeah, is i know a lot of musicians that were using zoom but they couldn't sing. So they were like, when I had the immediate family on, they were like, no, we're not going to play because we're, it's out of sync. So how did you manage that? Well, I mean, the first thing was that in the act of gathering people in song, mm -hmm. they were muted and I was not, or my guests were, were not muted and the participants were muted. So really, they, you know, they, there's a joke that arise, arose during this time that said, you know, what do you call 100 people singing on Zoom? And the answer is a duet. <laughs> Because, you know, you are alone in your house and you are singing with whomever you are singing with. But the cool thing is, you know, you get to sing with some wonderful people that yeah. you wouldn't get to sing with otherwise. And then in my context, I'm also playing multiple tracks. So people are have the experience of singing, they're singing in harmony, even though I can't hear them. And then when it came to making virtual vid videos, I would meet up with the choir or the participants in choir on Zoom in, in smaller sessions, I would talk them through recording their parts on their phone. So, you know, I would say, okay, everybody, you know, the altos would meet me at a certain time. And I say, okay, here's, we can do it line by line if we have to. Here's this part. Okay, now I, now I muted them. They're listening to me through their ear, through their computer. I say, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. They hit record on their phone. I pray, play the track, they sing along. And then they send me all those tracks from their phone. And I- Who is editing this together? get out of here. How did you learn how to do this? Well, I think, you know, because I, I already had that skill because I already record on GarageBand. Oh. So I was lucky oh. that I could do it. I mean, it was like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. You know, I could, oh. I could take all these people in disparate places and have their voices all arrive at my house and put wow. the choir together and then give it back to them and let them hear themselves singing together. It was so magic. And that if also on my website, there's a little page called watch videos. And if you go there, you can see the virtual videos that we made. And we have kids in my choir too. So we did a bunch of things with them too. This is so fantastic. And you know, I, unlike your 4,000 people, I have tens of people. No, we were the COVID crazies all through the pandemic and we kept each other company and we loved each other and we supported each other. And we met every day. Everyone knew where to come. What time? And five o'clock live at five. We were live at five every day and the, and they're here now. And Hi everybody. And, and the COVID crazies are here. And this is, and you know, Facebook's been, I don't know if you've run into this, but when Meta took over and they started changing the algorithms and 
people couldn't get on the show and they couldn't find it. And we've, we've had some issues, but people stopped getting notifications, but we've persevered through it all. Really, there have been so many technical challenges along the way that none of us ever thought we would be dealing with or facing or trying to master. And, you know, here's to all of us who figured it out. Because well, or, or are figuring, are it. And so figuring ha- it out. So now are you, are you still pandemic? Are you post, where, where are you now? And, and how do you, because I'm trying to segue into the real world and mm. it's, re- I'm really phobic. Yes. And I'm I'm socially phobic. I'm I'm I have anxiety to go back in the world. How are you doing this and how much are you doing this? Ditto to all of that. <laughs> and you know what what happened was that I came up after session and session of together in song and session and session of choir. I got to the point last May where I could feel it and I just mm. thought I have to stop. I have to stop. And, you know, those those events were a real life raft for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and for me, too. But I could Mm -hmm. feel I could feel the burn, you know. So I made a decision that on May 1st, this past May 1st, that I would stop everything for a while. And I did in in order to kind of mark that moment. I Uh had I had together in song that morning and then I met in person outdoors with whomever wanted to sign up to become to be a part of this event and we did not one outdoor <gasps> and it was choir members and their friends and it was in glendale and we we met and we had this outdoor sing and quite and some amazing things happened including the fact that there's a woman who found me online during the pandemic and she flew here from boston to sing with us in person for one afternoon. So that was just crazy and amazing. So we did that. And then I took a break for the summer and I traveled with my family and I, I kind of really shut everything down and, um, and traveled meant, you know, we masked, we got on a plane, we went to Massachusetts where we spend time together in the summer and we just hunkered down, you know, just the unit. And, uh, and then somebody reached out to me and said, would you do this? Oh, they reached out before I left. Would you do this live event? And I said, no. Then they reached out to me while I was gone. And they said, would you do the last one? It's in August on such and such a date. And I could feel my phobic mind taking over. And I could feel the fear. And I could feel the atrophy. And the worry that I just don't even know how to do this anymore, person to person after years and years and years of doing it because this choir is 17 years old but i've been song leading for you know 40 years 30 years so um i said yes i just i had no good reason except for fear to say no so i said (laughs) yes and then i had to go through all of these you know transformations like just i don't know the squirming and the discomfort of getting ready to do it and it was beautiful. It was at the Lancashire Arts Center in August at the end of it was the part of the end of a, of a series that had been uh, put together by my friend Rob. And um, and it was 50 some odd people. They were masked and I was not. And the sound was so beautiful. And to hear people singing with walls and a ceiling, it, it was magic. And at the same around the same time, I was approached by a retreat center in North Carolina called the Art of Living Retreat Center. And they asked me if I would come in September. And in the spirit of facing all of that, which you explained so beautifully, I said yes. And I and then I and then I went through those, you know, I don't know, paroxysms of, of terror to get ready 
to go on a plane to rent a car with my friend of mine, drive two hours from Charlotte to Boone and meet with these people for the weekend and sing with them, which I just did. And it was beautiful and it was life-saving for some people. So it was definitely worth And did you, have you avoided COVID? I got COVID after I stopped everything in May. My youngest daughter graduated from college and I got COVID at her LA showcase. And I knew, and so did she, and so did pretty much everybody else who went to that thing. Yeah. And I knew it. I felt the COVID clock ticking. I said to somebody there, I said, we're all walking out of here with COVID tonight. And I was right. Were you not masked? Oh, uh, sometimes we were and yeah, sometimes yeah, we yeah. weren't. And it was yeah. very celebratory and it was a small yeah. space with very little ventilation. And it just felt like the writing, yeah, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. So have you had it? I have, I have not. Okay. I have a, but, but I'm going to San Francisco on Monday. I'm, I'm going to start living large. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm still afraid of the plane, Yeah. but I'm going to be with my mother tomorrow after she just gets off a plane. So it's like that germs is my germs is. So how was your, co how was your, co you had was my COVID. I guess. How was my COVID time? <laughs> was um, COVID? My COVID time sucked. I mean, I don't think anyone is, is going to say it's a party. And of course it's different for everybody. Right. Um, at the time that we got it, uh, you know, my daughter and I got it within days of each other. Mm. Um, I was alone at the time. My husband was traveling and, you know, I think that was better because it meant he didn't get it, but it was worse because it meant I was the only one making myself soup. But I will <laughs> say that, you know, uh, Advil and Sudafed nighttime and daytime got me through. It was the worst sore throat I've ever had. Um, and that you was didn't do the Paxlovid. No, no. No, that was probably better for you that you did. I'm really a doctor friendly human. So yeah. like the least that I can do, I will do. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it wasn't fun. And I have to say that on the other end of it, I definitely felt like my lung capacity was a little bit, um, you know, challenged. Much. But yeah. I think I think I'm getting out. I'm coming out of that now. So, yeah. Did you lose all... your sense of taste or smell? No, that's wonderful. I didn't. And I think that, you know, my my eldest daughter and her boyfriend got it last Christmas. We were all going to be together and that plan got, you know, sent to hell. So uh, and, and they did lose their sense of taste and smell. So I, I think mm -hmm. the virus has shifted since, you know, from then to now. And uh, although everybody gets it different, I still know people who are losing their senses of taste and smell in the current. Who knows? Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good Lord. It's not yeah. fun out there. I have to say mm -hmm. it's treacherous. And I really look forward to a time when we don't have to be thinking about it anymore, if that time is ever going to come. And in the meantime, I'm glad that we are where we are a little bit further down the line. So, um, so how is that for you, Maggie? How, how has that translated other than getting on the plane and going in September mm -hmm. in your day-to-day -day life? Are you getting back to living or are, are things normalizing at all? Is it still this? What's it like? I think that, you know, I, I, for a person who's got such a public life, you know, I also, by the way, the first time I left the house in the pandemic was to do the Friends Reunion. That was my first outing. So I went from absolute shutdown, no talking, no see, no touchy, no nothing, to people coming to my house and COVID testing me and, you know, getting in a car and being welcomed by people in paper suits and shields and, you know, like the Andromeda strain. I mean, it was just nutty. So... And then by the end of that night, with everybody tested, double tested, triple tested, we were hugging and it was, that was really like this crazy, beautiful, Aww. normal dream in the midst of, of, of us washing our groceries, you know, so that was crazy. Right. Um, but I will say I, that, you know. And nobody got sick from that. No. 
Oh. No, at that time, nobody did. But I will say that, uh, you know, I am an introvert at heart. I'm an intro, I'm an extroverted introvert. So being shut down and being at home and having to do less was not hard for me. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband is an extroverted extrovert, and it was a lot harder for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to kind of pivot and keep a lot of connection, um, strong connection through this medium with right. human beings that's mm-hmm. that was that filled me right um, and it was also it, it gave way to an incredibly creative t- time I wrote so much music for the people during that time it was just having the container really lit up my my creative forces so what is it like now uh, it's very I'd say it's still really um you know, I don't know. It's a tiny little life right now. I'm not. I mean, do you do you go out to lunch? Do you go to people's houses? Do you socialize? I go outside. I sit outside at restaurants. I think I've gone inside mm-hmm. a restaurant once or twice. Um, I don't. I haven't gone to hang out much at people's houses, nor have mm-hmm. many people come here. Although we've mm-hmm. done it a handful of times, and I have gone out. I've I've braved and gone out to see music. Now I think on two different occasions, outside or, or inside, uh, both. Um, but I'm masked inside even when mm-hmm. other people aren't. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I've been in a couple of theaters. Which I haven't been to a movie. Um, yeah, I miss movies. Too. I miss movies. <laughs> I'm ready for a popcorn and a, and, a, and a big screen. We went to a drive. We went to the drive-in because I missed movies so badly. And <laughs> You know, it's out of sync and the thing is terrible. No, it was awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I remember kind of watching lots of people do that. And I remember seeing, um, you know, a little article about some, I don't remember where it was. I almost want to say it was in England, but it was a big outdoor concert event or something like that where they, they, they had built all of these tiny platforms and each platform had a railing around it and each platform had a table and chairs. And you went with your people and you, you had your own little outdoor... Oh spot and it looked fantastic you know it's like wonderful. way of gaming this crazy system of all of us being stuck but i'm also you know i'm doing i'm actually producing a live event this weekend so i'm doing my first i you know um yeah, tell, tell. first indoor music event um it's exciting so uh two singer songwriter and song leader friends of mine shireen amini who is uh, half Iranian and half Puerto Rican, and she is coming down from Oregon. And uh, my friend Luke Wallace, who's a who's a climate activist folk singer from Canada, who just moved to Los Angeles. And so we're doing a fundraising concert for Amnesty Iran and for the um, Fiona Community uh, Fund uh, in Puerto Rico. And so, yeah, we're doing that indoors at Nichols Canyon music at my friend Peter's house where we've done a lot of lot of phenomenal concerts and he has put on a lot of concerts up there and it was and you know when when Shireen asked me because she was going on tour um kind of down this way and and uh and she said are you up for it and I said "Mm, no no I I can't I can't not yet I really can't and then my friend Luke moved here we had breakfast and I thought I don't think I cannot do it you know we need each other and the and and for me and my choirs like this too whenever the focus is clear and i know we're working for a greater purpose i'm in i'm all in and so knowing that we could kind of focus on the women in iran and knowing that we could maybe raise a little money for puerto rico at the same time i just it was a it became a yes the no became a yes like in a morning and i texted and then i reached out to my friend peter and i said could we would we in a box you know 
do a concert up there? And he said yes. And so, yeah. Anybody, you can also find out about that at goldenbridgechoir.com on the schedule page. <laughs> okay, so now... Well, okay, so how many people, like, you know, you did Women Who Write. I used to have 50 yeah. people jammed into my living room. Mm-hmm. How many people do you anticipate that you'll have? It's a bigger space. It's a double mm-hmm. height ceiling. There's a big, wide open glass um, double doors that open into the space. So there's good ventilation. And mm-hmm. I imagine we, you know, we might, you know, we've had 100 in there, but I don't think people are jumping out as they were right. moments. Right. So right now, I think we've got over 30 people who have purchase tickets and I think that we'll have a you know we, we might get to 50 by by Sunday or maybe it'll be a little bit more but there's also a balcony so people can be spread out and do you feel how do you feel about walking into that like are you comfortable are you a little anxious or are you gonna you're not gonna mask I know but I've yeah. asked for negative t- t- I've asked for day of negative COVID tests from everybody so I'm asking them to take a you know, take a rapid test, mm-hmm. drugstore rapid test, take a mm-hmm. picture of their negative test and show it at the door. You know, the last outdoor event I did was a show me your vax card event. And at this <laughs> point, I feel like, you know, obviously the deba- debate of vax, no vax can get people, you know, set people's hair on fire. Yes. Uh, but at this point, I feel like everyone is susceptible. And the real the real information that is useful is, are you negative today? I love that. And so uh, so that's how I decided to do it. And, you know, my my invitation and flyer now that now that you and I have established that we really needed each other's emails all this time, um, you'll see it. But my invitation and flyer just says, you know, thank you for agreeing to to take this extra step to keep the community healthy and safe. And so when you're in a situation like that, Maggie, do you because I went to a very, very small birthday party on Saturday, there were maybe 15 people there and we were in a big space. I didn't mask. Mm-hmm. which gave me a little anxiety that I wasn't. I did when I went to the bathroom, but I didn't in the room. But people are hugging and people are. So, you know, I had a lot. I didn't. I looked calm and, and composed, but I was anxious. I was anxious. I had I was able to enjoy myself for part. But I was, you know, it was it was we I'm just so out of. And my I whole know. life was throwing events like you. It was always yeah. being yeah, so it's crazy to feel this way, but do you do you have those feelings when I you're? I do. I do. I feel like I was, you know, there have been two other occasions. Well, one was the outdoor thing on May first, where here I was seeing these people who'd been in my choir for seventeen years, people I hadn't seen in two years, and you know, we had asked them at that point to show their vax cards, and you know, and it was all, and I thought, oh, we'll keep a distance, whatever, you know. In four and a half seconds, it was, yeah. it was a hug. <laughs> And that's what it turned out to be. And I did do one other uh, at a moment when the when when the when the COVID numbers were a little further down. Um, my friends Evie Layden and Keith Terry came through town. They had had another event scheduled up at my friend Peter's right when the pandemic hit. So now they were coming back around, and we did do it. It was like this one little window where everybody felt a little safer. And I had people show their vax cards up there too, and that turned into a big hug fest as well. So uh, and I remember I remember the feeling, and I remember thinking, oh shit. I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. And then, and then after that, I was just like, okay, whatever we're in it. We're all in it. Um, I, there, there's a, there's an interesting little, uh, sort of set of a code that's being used in choir land now with singers to say whether you're a cat, a dog or a bird. And I think, you know, you can, I, if you identify as a bird, it's like, you know, no, no hugging, you can't, you know, you can't touch me. 
I'm not, you know, that's not for me. Or if you're a cat, you, it's like, I, I, you, I might be in for it, but it's just depending on my mood and how I'm feeling. And maybe it's a no touch moment or maybe, you know, <laughs> I might, I might touch you. And then of course the dog, you know, is hug me. I want to hug. I don't give it. I just touch me. Um, so, so, uh, I, yeah, that's I, adorable. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have tags for people up at this thing on Sunday, but that's that's adorable. I, I actually love that. And and how about with the holidays coming up, with Thanksgiving coming up? It was was your last Thanksgiving a normal Thanksgiving? It was a tiny Thanksgiving. It was myself, my husband, my the daughter who's in Los Angeles, and her boyfriend. It was just us, just us mm-hmm. chickens. And this year will be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other daughter's on the East Coast, and we'll spend Thanksgiving with her boyfriend and his family, I imagine. And we're all going to be together for Christmas. That's the Okay, so tell me, tell me about your kids, because I know your daughters from dance club when they used to. Yeah, well, you'll have to tell me about your. You'll have to tell me about yours too. I have two daughters. For anybody who doesn't know my children, Um, one is twenty-seven, and the other one is twenty-two. My twenty-seven-year-old is a social worker, therapist in New York City, and uh, she's doing wonderfully well. And she finished graduate school during the pandemic, and she's just out there. Does she live in Brooklyn? My daughter lived in Brooklyn. Does she, where does she live? She lives in Manhattan. She lives oh. down the Lower East Side, but she works okay. in Brooklyn. She works in Brooklyn. Yeah. She, always lo- Brooklyn. she would love to live in Brooklyn. But... There's always Brooklyn involved these days. <laughs> yes. And That's... and the youngest? the younger. Uh, my youngest is 22. She graduated from college in May and gave me COVID as a gift. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we she didn't give it to me. We got it together. Um, and she is uh, an actress, and um, and she she graduated from she was a film uh, you know a film major a screen acting major um, at Chapman, and so she you know she spent four years acting and making movies and editing and directing and writing and sort of getting a very um, sort of well rounded um, understanding of the of her craft, and now she's out out in the real world. And okay, now coming out in the real world, COVID ish time. How challenging is that for an actress, for a young actress? The young people are living. The young people. The young people are living. They are not not living. I know. My kids are living. Too. We're over here like, oh, God, I can't go to the grocery store. I know I forgot my mask. I oh, forget it. I'll do it tomorrow. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm going out to here. I'm going out here. I'm going out here. We, we went here. We went there. Tomorrow yep. we're going here. I've got three places. Yeah, they're just living. My and, kids and do. I'm, I'm glad they are. Well, how does that, okay, so that's my next question. So how do you feel when you, my kids came over last night, my kids are living life big and large. How do you feel when your kids come over you a little, well, your daughter already gave you COVID. So I'm, yeah. well, you got it together. I don't know. Sometimes, I think when it comes to my children, when, when the pandemic began, my youngest was in Italy on her semester abroad, which got terribly cut short. And uh, oh, she was able to get back because Italy got hit so hard. Yes. And she did not want to leave. And of course, we didn't really know what this was. Mm-hmm. And so right. while other schools were shutting down and parents were yanking their children and getting them home, we were over here going, yeah, you can stay. I mean, you, want to stay? you can stay. I guess you can stay. I mean, what do you want? What's the difference? You can stay. Anyway, we let her stay a little longer. And then the day that my friend Debbie came over to help me get Zoom on my computer, that was March 13. Uh, we were sitting that at the, the day. table and my sister called me from New York and she said, do you have the news on? And I said, no. And she said, well, you better call your daughter and tell her to get on a plane because I don't think she's going to be able to get home after tomorrow. And I was like, huh? what? Huh? What? So a minute, you know, we get we get on the news. We figure out what's going on. I called her in Italy and, and she had just moved herself into an apartment. So she'd been living on someone's couch because her school had shut down. 
and she had just moved into an apartment and just unpacked and just had a, a day or two. Oh. And I said, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to come home. And then, then we scrambled. Did she keep the apartment in Italy or did no, she? No, she had to pack everything up and go. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was crazy. It was all crazy. We had to, I, I, we were going to get to her two plane tickets because we, because London was still open, but it looked like she could get stuck and not be able to get back to the U S but anyway, she did get back. Why are we talking about this? I know. So Daniel and I went to the airport to pick her up and the whole way we were driving. And this is of course, you know, this is when it was lockdown the worst yeah and we're looking at each other in the car saying are we really not going to hug her when she gets out of there i mean what are we doing are we or no yes hug no yes yes <laughs> hug, no hug what are we going to do and we arrived there and there was another mother there whose whose the kid was coming from spain who also knew my daughter Gemma. so they traveled together from from germany to the u.s and they got off we were expecting all kinds of madness at the airport. But of course, in those days, the airports were like empty. No yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, no customs. Nobody what? was asking any questions. Nobody asked. No customs? No. They walked off that plane and they walked straight to us. And we were expecting it to take hours. She was in <laughs> Italy, for God's sake. No, no. She walked right out of there. So, and we hugged her and we, you know, we just. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. So I don't know. They show up at the door and I go. Um, I had a plastic bag from the top of my head to the tip of my toes so that I would go to Harry's backyard and we would have a meal, but I would, I would put the plastic bag on so that I could hug him really tight and hold him really tight. Amazing. I saw somebody at the time in the you know height of the pandemic who hung a clothesline in their backyard with a plastic yes. seat and the grandmother would come and yes. that's where we got the idea. So good. So good. That's, that's how we did it. I, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, where yeah. are your kids? The, the so they're now open. both here, but Samantha was in New York at NYU and graduated from Tisch, and then uh, right before the pandemic, so she had an actual graduation at at Radio City Music ah, Hall, and wow. she did like the whole thing because that if she would have graduated with her class at four years, they got nothing. They got nothing. They got nothing. Nothing. No. Yeah, I mean Juno graduated from at NYU from graduate school during the pandemic, so we and, were online. Yeah, and nothing. That. So she got to have a real graduation, but then it, she went into, you know, she got a waitress job. What do you do when you're going to be an actress? And then boom, shut down. Now she works at a law firm and she just applied to UCLA Law School. And oh so, gosh. but she still wants to be an actress. She did her first shoot for Vogue. So amazing. Yeah. That's and amazing. Harry works for Little Dot Studios and he's in LA. He works out of, he works from home and he's watching the Yankees right now. And I hope they're winning. And, um, but my kids are doing great. It's, That's so good. I'm so yeah. glad. I mean, listen, yeah. one resilient generation who's had to go through. Could this you thing. imagine this is a chunk of their life? This is a little chunk of our, a tiny chunk of our life. Yeah. This is a big chunk of their life that they're living yeah. through this, which, but they're, but they're living, they're not doing. They're no, not. you know, I mean, and, and I'm so, yeah, for every, for everything that happens that feels full of life, I'm so glad for them all, you know, that yeah. they don't have to I don't know, feel the way we do. I know. Although, but you know, I think many of us uh, at our stage of life and the game are like, oh, <sighs> you know, life is a little less intense and a little less nonstop. You know, I, I, yes, I think there was a certain relief to COVID to being home. I mean, there was a, we're going to be locked up for two, for two weeks. I can't leave my house. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, um, before we move on from the music, um, you have a, a surprise for us that I'm oh. so excited about that you surprised me with two seconds before we went on the air. So Matthew is actually going to sing for us and show us what what this project that you've put together in COVID is about and yeah. how it works. And you're going to give us a little taste. And I'm so tell I us about it. That so. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought about that right when Vicky and I got on before we all joined you. And I'm I'm right now I'm putting together a little compilation of songs that I'm going to release on my rep website. I've got some singles up there and some other things that are that are you know that I did as full CDs. But um, there's so much music that's happened in this last while that I haven't really released in any um, compilation format. So I'm putting together a group of songs right now that I'm going to put up there. And so I was sort of in that mindset and I and so that there's a song that let's see it says 2020 and I can't remember it was pretty early on in the pandemic it was once I had started together in song and I wrote this song called maybe I'll sing and the reason for it uh you know the reason the song sort of came into being was that we were all so afraid and we were all so full of grief and we were all so sad. And my experience was that it was just trapped in my body. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't feel well and I didn't feel, you know, the way that I wanted to feel. I didn't feel alive and I didn't feel my joy and I didn't. And so I, this is a song. And so then we would get together and we would sing online for a period of time. And lo and behold, even with muted microphones and even with all the technological kind of, you know, impediments at the end of an hour or an hour and a half, we felt better. Oh. And there, and you know, my friend Lisa Littlebird just used to sh sort of shout out in the middle of everything, I feel better. And you know, it was just <laughs> this acknowledgement of what singing can do mm. even in these circumstances. So this is a song called Maybe I'll Sing. And I guess if I thought people would see the lyrics, I'd put them in the chat, but I don't think that's the case. So I'm gonna just sing it for you. Yay. Uh, and this is, so you can hear, this is me and me and me and the choir of me's and I'll sing along with it. Maybe I'm sad, maybe I'm mad, maybe that's why my body feels bad. Maybe I'm sad, maybe I'm hurt, maybe my brain's on high alert. Maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll shout, maybe I'll let my feelings out. Maybe I'll stand in the rain, maybe I'll let go of my pain. Maybe I'll trust, maybe I'll pray, maybe that's how I'll find the way. Maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing. Maybe I'll sing. Maybe I feel dark despair, maybe that's why I can't get air, maybe I'm laden down with grief, maybe that's why I need relief, maybe I'll cry, maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll let my true voice ring, maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll see, maybe I'll let myself be free, maybe I'll dance, maybe I'll run, maybe I'll stand out in the sun, maybe I'll sing maybe i'll sing maybe i'll sing maybe i'm sad maybe i'm mad maybe that's why my body feels bad maybe my heart needs to grieve maybe that's why it's hard to breathe maybe i'll sing maybe i'll shout maybe i'll let my feelings out maybe i'll sing maybe i'll see maybe i'll let myself be free maybe i'll trust maybe i'll pray maybe that's how i'll find the way maybe i'll sing Maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing. 
Maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing. Maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing, maybe I'll sing. Oh my, Maggie, I can't, I have goosebumps. I first of all, I love this on every level. This pandemic, no pandemic, a song. This is like a song that needs to be on the radio. I love Thank this. You. Thank you. Well, you know, we were, you know. These songs have acted sort of as medicine for everybody for all mm. the different re reasons and the feelings and the circumstances that we find ourselves in that were so new to everybody. But as a songwriter or song leader, somebody who had that medium to work with for the first time, I thought, oh, it doesn't matter who we are or where we are. We are all experiencing the same thing at the same time. And that is a very strange and rare it's Human. it's the first time in our lifetime, first probably time. the only time in our lifetime that that will ever be true, right? Yeah, yeah. So the I whole world, that. the whole world is experiencing the same thing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, a, it's a game changer, I think, for the way that we understand the connectedness of of the human species. I hope. Uh, yes, and and isn't it crazy though that in the middle of all of this we have these incredibly corrupt politics and all this going back in time and and there are still crazy serial killers and it's it's unfathomable to me that this stuff yeah. can go on when we're all in this situation together. I and I, I will say also I think that uh, um, the kind of cumulative um, effect on our nervous system from all of this that we have been through and all of this that we are going through. For me, you know, at this exact second makes it a lot harder for me to stay focused on all the negativity. Some of it I have to stay focused on, you know, mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade, I have, we to, have to vote. We have Iran, to vote. I have to stay focused on. We have to vote. But yes. where there was a moment in time where I, I you know, even during the pandemic, too, mm -hmm. or the, the height of the pandemic, when I was just inundating myself with news, mm -hmm. bad news, bad news, um, right. I can't really do that much of it now and i'm trying mm -hmm. to just leave enough space to take a walk and Taking still do the, and still do the work did okay so how did your eating change during the pandemic did your exercise did yeah i mean what the, do you mean the covid 15 yes <laughs> yes, I know. yes in fact yeah. it did yeah um, I'm working i'm working hard to turn that one back but uh you know what the killer is it takes five minutes to gain it and it, it it literally takes 15 years to lose the damn stuff. Unless you're, I mean, a, man. Unless you're a man. Yeah. <laughs> well, even men of a certain age struggle with taking it off, I think. True. Yeah, I think at a certain point it gets difficult. So, okay, so this is what you're doing now, but let's talk about what you did then because there are people that are on here today that weren't with us for the first time we sat and chatted. And the fact that you have this fabulous voice and you're so... Were you, did you always sing? I know the answer. I know the answers to these questions, but I'm asking them anyway. Okay. Did you always sing? And when did you start songwriting? Um, I went, I was very fortunate. I went to a summer camp that was run by Pete Seeger's brother, John, and his wife, Ellie. So I grew up surrounded by folk musicians, guitars and banjos and dulcimers and music. Mm -hmm. And I was, was your home musical? No. Uh, you know, there was bossa nova on the record player and, you know, that kind of thing. So there was music playing, um, mm -hmm. but no. And so I, you know, I actually, I was, I was, I was forced to take piano lessons as a child, which I was not, I, I was not that excited about. I mean, I liked it until I didn't like it. I liked it until I heard the Beatles were going to be on television, at which point I hid under my parents' bed and I heard the piano <laughs> teacher's feelings because they couldn't find me. <laughs> um, but 
uh, it was really those formative years at, at Camp Kill Elite in Vermont, which mm -hmm. still exists, um, that where I really was surrounded by musicians and, and we would sing around the campfire and, you know, learn the chorus and harmonize. And that was just home for me. And so when I left there and I was pursuing my young interest in acting and I went to a theater, I went to a, an, an arts camp after that for a couple of summers. And um, but I was still just always yearning for that feeling of home that came from sitting with people and singing. Uh, and that, you know, and yes, I sang with a, a band or two along the way, but really my my heart and soul is with community singing. And so that evolved. I became a student of Isai Barnwell, who sang bass for Sweet Honey in the Rock for 30 some odd years. And she was really my teacher, my mentor, the person who showed me what was possible to walk into a room full of 60 people, 30, 40, 50 people, and get everybody singing in five-part harmony without giving them time to ask if they can do it or they can't do it. And so that's become really my sole work that's that, that I've been just involved and invested in all, all alongside my acting career. Okay, so was the dream when you started to do musical theater, was that, was, mm. that, was that the dream? I think it was when I was little, but I do not have the voice for musical theater, nor did I ever. And of course, as a young actor in New York, I took voice lessons and oh, the, all the weird voice teachers. I had one crazy voice teacher who had all this metals crap that she stuck in my mouth. And, you know, I had one that smelled like bananas and tea. I remember them all. But uh, I had one I had one who, I had one who told me that I wasn't very grounded. And he would he, he said, you know, you're, you're back on your heels. And he would shove me to show me that I, that I wasn't really standing on my toes. Anyway, you know, all the crazy voice teachers. But and I was in a musical theater company for kids when I was in high school called the Merry Mini Players. But, um, you know, that's not the voice I have. And uh, and it was really about finding the music of my soul that that, you know, that I don't I can't I can't explain that. It's just something that happened in my life. And um, but I can hear it. You sing with great passion, with with incredible. I mean, you have a very strong voice and and very melodic it's beautiful thank you i know what you're saying you know the, the people that have like those really trained broadway voices oh, you know all that crap is a whole different thing but but you really the fact that you have the fortitude the courage and um the self-confidence to to find your voice and to sing it out is very inspiring and i i and i know that it inspires many Thank you. Well, that's what I try to do is to set up an environment where everybody can do that and where we can lay down all the cultural ideas of who sings and who doesn't sing and what it is. To be How do you do singer. that, Maggie? How do you take somebody who was told to their life, you're not very good, you can't, you can't sing. How do you take somebody like that and help them to sing? Carefully, gently, and with patience. I never, in my choir, in all of my workshops, there's never a moment where I point to somebody and say, let me hear what you're doing. So no one's ever asked to sing alone. Mm -hmm. and, if, and, and, you know, and there are times where people are very shut down by all of that messaging that they got in grade school or from their families or their brother or whoever said, shut up, you can't sing, you know, and, and so mm -hmm. that's so, so prevalent. So I think it happens over time, safety in numbers, the way I teach there's always something for people to do, even the scared people. And then even if they're quiet and they're in the back of a group of people, when they when that music starts working on them, little by little, they become courageous and little by little, they find their voice and little by little, they realize that they're part of it and that it's not, it won't be the whole without them. And something happens in the consciousness that kind of relieves some of that 
stuff, but sometimes it can take time. Um, Julie Warner is on and says, Cam, kill him. <laughs> and, and, and uh, Gigi's on too. And Hi, so you girl, your girls are here. Your girls are in the house. Your girls are in the house. Okay. So, so for Maggie, uh, I know that you went to Dalton and I, I know that you did not graduate from Dalton. You didn't like Dalton. You, you ended up, um, leaving what, where did, where did you become at? How did you go from these summer camps to becoming a professional actress? How did that happen? Um, I think by the time that I left Dalton, which was at the uh, in ninth grade, end of ninth grade, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I think I think uh, either I left in ninth grade or I left in 10th. I can't remember. But um, I was already very passionate about acting and wanting to become an actress. So at that point, I was fortunate enough to land in, in the classroom of Alfred Urey, who wrote Driving Miss Daisy. He was my high school theater director when I switched schools. And he was very supportive of me. And then I, I started taking class at Neighborhood Playhouse. And then I, I, I you know, had another teacher who was a student of Wynne Hanman's. And so, you know, I would just kind of move around and study. So your parents time. must have been supporting you through this. They were not excited <laughs> about it. They were not <laughs> excited about it. But really, the first thing that happened was I got to that high school. I met these kids who were in the Merry Mini Players. I joined that company. And then I went out. I would go after school, rehearse theater, and perform for kids on the weekend. We did children's theater for children. And it was, you know, children doing children's theater for children. Right, and, right. And so that was great. I really got to dig my, you know, kind of my teeth into it and then I was sort of desperate to get started professionally and I was searching for how you do that I used to buy backstage and cut school and go stand in a line with a bunch of 20 somethings and audition for stuff that I had no business auditioning for whatsoever I mean I did all kinds of crazy things to make the dream come true and then I finally landed at the I landed in the office of a manager by the name of Muriel Carl at Muriel Carl Talent <laughs> Management in New York City, and uh, all these kids were there with their mothers, and they were in like matching gingham outfits, and oh, you know, God. sing for Muriel, dance for Muriel, tell do your monologue for Muriel, and uh, and I was alone because my mother was like over my dead body, I am not taking you anywhere. He says, "You want to do it? You figure it out." So anyway, they took me on, uh, and just this year, last year, sometime, it, the, I went to an acupuncturist in my neighborhood, and she danced uh, with the Joffrey when she was young. And we were in the middle of talking about our childhoods and all the rest and something I mentioned Muriel Carl, and she said, I was with Muriel Carl. <laughs> and, and so I somewhere yeah, in my that. in my archives, I had found some, you know, circular some paper that has a two page spread of all of us when we were little and Cynthia Nixon and whoever we were all there with Muriel Carl. Wow. So anyway, I was after it when I was in, in high school. I got nothing, no traction, no job, no nothing, but Wait, I tried. Maggie, did you know, did you believe that you were going to make, did you have it, did you have the conviction that you could do this, that you were going to do it? I think I'm a naturally optimistic to the point of being a little you know, daft at times. And that was, in, that worked in my favor when I was mm -hmm. that age that I was, mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, I mean, my goals were not that lofty at the time. I thought if I could only get a Burger King commercial, I, I will be, I will make it, you know, and if I could only get a soap opera or something, whatever it was, I had, the, I had, I had these small attainable seemingly attainable, attainable except that at the time everyone was like you're very ethnic you know what are you are you puerto rican are you italian are you jewish what are you what are you so you know it didn't look like it was going to work and then the great thing was that i did they I, try to get you to change did they try to get you to to lighten your hair to change your name do all that uh, stuff yes the name change question came up which i did not do 
And then I, I, I started getting extra work, like that's the way that I could work. And so I went off one morning at 4 a.m. freezing cold on a bus to go be extras <laughs> in a um, some airline commercial or something. Jane Krakowski was on that bus. We were just babies. <laughs> and there was this woman sitting next to me. And I wish I could hold something up to you right now to show you the alien color of her eyes. But she had, this, <laughs> she had brown hair, she looked like me, and she had turquoise eyes. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, what is that? I, it's not real. It can't be real. I, I need that. That's what I need. If I have that, it's all solved. I'm going to be famous. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, you know, what's up with that? And she said, oh, they're contacts. But, you know, this was long before. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the advent of a soft contact lens. Right. So for hard glass, hand painted on the inside contact lenses and they kind of sat outside of her eye it looked like she had a spoon in her eye and her eyes were bloodshot all around them I didn't care whatever it was I was like that <laughs> so she gave me the name of the guy and she said you know you're really not gonna it's not comfortable and I, I, I was like la, 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 la. <laughs> I went to this German you know uh, op, optician in New York and, and he said yeah you are not going to like this this is very very light sense they make extremely light sensitive <laughs> it's only your vanity you don't need it. it's going to be very very uncomfortable I'm like, just make them. <laughs> and I begged my parents to pay for them and they were not cheap. And I said, don't, you know, this is my career. This, my career, it's all just this little blue circle. And, uh, and so I had them I made and then I put them on. And of course I made, I, I made it for about a day and a half before I was in a dark room shielding myself from the television. I had turned the bright, the bright knob all the way down. Anyway, I still have them. Um, oh, they're, that's hysterical. They're in, they're in a box. But yeah, I guess I believed Vicky. <laughs> okay, so how did how did that dream start? So was there a Burger King commercial? What was the nope. first thing? Uh, first thing was a voiceover for uh, where I was I was put in a crowd uh, with a bunch of young people and we, it was for the Rubenews. It was a band in the 70s and I was in the crowd going, ooh, the Rubenews, ooh, the Rubenews. And then they said, who's the kid with, who's the, kid with the low voice? And I was like, oh shit, I just got fired. And so they pulled me out, gave me the spot, and I began to work for CBS Records and uh, through Clack Studios in New York. And I and I and they they just brought me back and back. So my work started in voiceover, and then I started you know doing extra work in in movies and and television shows as I could get it. And uh, and then I would say my break into showbiz came when I was about 25, 25, four. I can't remember how old I was. Um, my sisters ex-boyfriend's girlfriend at the time was working for Lauren Michaels and she said you know we're working on this new show primetime sketch comedy you know would you like for Lauren Michaels would you like to audition and I said um yes I would like to audition and she said okay well you have to write six minutes of original stand-up <laughs> and I went and cried for about five days I shut myself in the room and cried I'm like here it's the opportunity of a lifetime and I'm not going to be able to make it happen but I had wrote, you done improv had you done stand-up had you you hadn't done any I mean, only in that I was a goofball and I was a mimic and I had been making people laugh my whole life and right. you know, that made me happy but in any kind of, you know, I'd taken acting classes up the wazoo, but I had not focused on comedy improv. So I wrote six minutes of character-driven stand-up comedy. I went in, I auditioned for Lorne and, uh, and Brian what, Murray. What, what, and... This was post-Saturday Night Live. This is Saturday Night yes, Live, I'm sorry. He, yeah. he left SNL for a year. 
and uh, Gene Dumanian took over and he left right. and, and he did this show. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, you know, the cast was a bunch of people from Second City, Dave Thomas and Valerie Bromfield and Buck Henry. And it was oh, a great wow. cast, wonderful cast. And I got to work with the best people in the best. I mean, you know, from Steve Martin to, to Penny Marshall to Kevin Klein and Rob. I saw Smith. your picture with Lorraine Newman. Uh, oh, you did. Lorraine. It's up here. Yeah. I just found it in my garage, right? Yeah. Lorraine Newman, Gilda, everybody came on that wow. show. All of Lauren's friends came on that show. And I was young and I, I, he was miserable. He hated it. It was going, it was tanking. Wait a minute. Okay, wait, back up a minute. You wrote six minutes of stand-up, oh, having I never did. done stand-up. How do you get this part? How does this happen? I guess I was so out of out of out there. You know, I had I did I did the six minutes. I I there were characters in the six Do you remember minutes. what your first like character was? Well, one was I was raised by a Cuban nanny. And okay. um there was a moment in time when we were very young, very, very young. I think I was seven. And I came down for breakfast and she was in the kitchen and I lived in a house in New York. So my mother was up and and the kitchen was down and I was, you know, marching off to get ready for school. And she was standing. She was a big woman and she really was my mother. I was born into her hands and I and I accepted her as my mother. (laughs) And she was standing in the kitchen. She said, you, you are disgusting. You are disgusting. I'm like, what the hell did I do? And she's like, you teach it. So, so she, my brother, my, she had walked in on my young brother fondling himself. And she, he asked, she asked him, he was, you know, he was four. He was, it was, you know, having yeah. fun. So she asked him who taught him how to do that. And he, you know, he had a, a minimal vocabulary. He said, I taught him. So when I walked into the kitchen, she had it in for me. And she's like, you teach your brother play with this billion dollars? You are going to go blind. You are going to go crazy. You are disgusting. And she was screaming at me. So anyway, I, I used that story. That's a great I, one. I did a bunch of things, you know, based on people that I knew. And then I made some crazy hybrid weird little interview show between Julia Child and Jacques Cousteau <laughs> about sea bass. And so that was, I don't know where that came out of my head, but anyway, then, and then I had to improv with Dave Thomas, with Brian Doyle Murray, with, you know, they just threw people up onto the stage to improv with me. And um, did you and know I, the rules of the basic rules of improv? No, I knew nothing. <laughs> but you know what I did? No, <laughs> I knew New Yorkers. You knew- and so, you knew funny. You I knew, knew funny. funny. And I knew New Yorkers. So anyway, I was I was very fortunate, and I got on that show. And then after that, I moved out here when it can- was canceled. I moved out here, and I met I met Henry Jaglum on the last day of the show, the night it was canceled. Um, our mutual friend, who's Jonathan Coffer, who passed away, invited me to dinner. Took me to a restaurant. Henry was there. He introduced me to Henry. At that point, I knew the show was being canceled and I'd already made plans to move to Los Angeles. And Henry said, come, come see me when you're there. I'm editing a movie, you know, come watch. So I went and watched him edit. And then um, I got a jo- I got a job in cartoons. And so I went back to New York to do that. And Henry and I had become friends. And he said, I want to make a movie with you when I get back to the, mo- to the city. Let's let's make a movie. And so we made New Year's Day. And then that brought me back out here. So. Okay, one thing I did not ask you last time that I have to ask. I know you made it with your ex-boyfriend. Oh, I did. David Duchovny. Now, when, but what I didn't ask you last time is when were you boyfriend and girlfriend? How did that happen? And why did you guys break up? Oh, that's, I just <laughs> talked to him today, actually. We are very oh. good friends. Um, here is how it happened. I had a boyfriend when I was 21. Uh-huh. Broke up. 
uh, we had uh, my best one of my best friends from high school. My friend Eric was good friends with the guy I broke up with, and I was a little bereft, and he felt bad for me, and so he introduced me to his friend David. They were at Princeton. They were all at Princeton, and um, and so I I went on a date just with David. He took me to see Mephisto. I think it was. <laughs> crazy anyway uh yeah that's how eric introduced us our friend eric introduced us and um and we dated for for you know a, a moment in time and uh and then i moved out here we'd sort of broken up before i moved out here or we were it was sort of yeah it was on the, it was we were skidding into breakup when i moved <laughs> um, uh, but we've been very remained very good friends then and then i came back to new york to make that movie and henry gave me a kind of short list of people to play my boyfriend and I was not, not there were no bells ringing with any of the suggestions he was making and David at that point who was at Yale grad school was acting starting to act taking class in New York and whatever and and Henry said well what about David because we were going to how did he know that. about David well he knew me Henry knew me really well I see. he knew me through this period of time that David and I were breaking up and he liked I the see. story he liked the idea of a young person who ends a relationship and leaves a city you know, to kind of start over at the end of something. And so at, it was Henry and his little, you know, wily ways who said, well, what about David? I said, oh, okay, well, that's an idea. So I, I called David and I said, look, I have, I have a proposition for you. <laughs> you know, you, how would you like to make this movie with me? But you need to like sign on the dotted line that you're on team Maggie, because whatever sort of games Henry decides to play, you and we know Henry can on play my some side, games. On my side, which he kind of was and kind of wasn't. But anyway, obviously that, that movie put David on the map. By the time yes, it is. screened in Los Angeles, the agents were talking about this young Richard Gere and they were swarming in the lobby of the Director's Guild to meet him. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay, so you, do, so you do Henry's film. You... Uh, and and what happens after that? Henry's film does so well for me, and I I was you know um, it represented the U.S. in the Venice Film Festival. We went to Italy. I was on Johnny Carson. I won an oh award. my god! Like now, are your parents on board now? Yeah. Come on, Johnny Carson! Come on! Yeah. <laughs> I think my mother said it looked like there was a shadow on your teeth. <laughs> Today. You, oh, you know, you never forget the shit your mother says to you, no matter what it is. It's like, it could be out so out there, but it sticks. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, I know it was exciting. It was a really exciting time. Very, very exciting time. And then, you know, I kind of marched along and things didn't happen after that. Um, you know, I had access to a lot of work, but I was also up against some very stiff competition at the time. Were, and, you, hear, were you hearing anything about you to Jewish, to New York, to this to that were you getting any of that or no no not at that point I think I was actually at that point I was almost exclusively reading for Italian girls and so <laughs> there, there was none of that going on but um but there was Annabella Sciorra and there was um Marissa Tomei so yeah. you know there was it, there were and and a lot of us a lot of other young women out there there were a lot of us right so um yeah so the kind of dreams and things didn't exactly unfold in that post uh, Henry moment, post New Year's Day moment for me. And that, but then I started getting some really good TV and I got a chance to do LA Law. And then one thing led to another, you know, just I had some wonderful opportunities. And then um, I booked Seinfeld. After a six month dry spell, um, I booked Seinfeld. And that kind of started the ball rolling a little faster. And it reminded me how much I loved comedy and how much I loved making people laugh. And um, 
uh, yeah, and then I ended up on the first season of the Ellen DeGeneres show. And and so tell tell us tell us a little bit about that because there's a story there. There is a story there. Yeah, I I got that job. I was so excited about it, um, and I really loved the cast. We were all very good friends. Um, but there was a lot of you know upheaval on that set. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And so uh, the role that they cast that they really kind of wrote for me, which was such a fun uh, part to play, began to sort of shift and change on set as the days were going by and she was getting a little sexier and a little bawdier and a little more, you know, I've been, I've been fired from several jobs and replaced by some very kind of fantastically bawdy redheads. That's <laughs> for a period of time. That was my, my story. And this was just another one of those moments waiting to happen, but there was just some really uncomfortable, strange transitions that were, that was taking something was taking place back there and I didn't have mm. all the information I needed but um eventually I did get it and I, I I understood what was happening and I understood that the writing was on the wall um and then I got fired I was the first to get fired and of course it was devastating it was a very big pro high profile job I'd never been fired from anything and it was very painful and I never thought I'd live to see another day I never leave the house again of course friends was waiting right around the corner but okay wait before you get on to friends did Ellen have in, because Ellen has a reputation and both from that show and from her her talk show that she's difficult although you don't seem to sound that way I and that she her. fired a lot of people did she yeah. not have anything to do with that she had nothing to do with my my firing my, my firing was that was was early it was an early thing so i you know first it was me then it was the other two actors that were cast with me mm. eventually it was the creators of the show and the thing got tooled and retooled and retooled and it you know it had a very long life she's mm -hmm. she was you know she's she's undeniably wonderful and funny um but you know that was the earliest iteration of it so whatever may have happened in terms of how she you know uh, operated on other sets and other versions of the show at that time we were all really tight and we, uh -huh. we had a great time actually it was kind of uh, I don't want to say it was us against them but I mean we were very bonded all, all the whole cast so um, and I had a great time with her uh, I haven't seen her in many years but I really had a great time so but anyway I got fired from that and that was very humbling and I didn't really know how I was going to proceed but it was shortly after that that the Friends audition showed up on the fax machine. And by that time I had kind of dusted myself off and I had realized I hadn't, I wasn't dead. And you know, that I was gonna leave the house again and that I was going to <laughs> maybe even act. And, um, and I got that audition and I felt very, very free to do whatever I wanted to do because nobody- Tell, tell us about what was on the written page. Like how did Janice come? Where did that voice come from? Where did it's, that laugh come from? How did you create that? It said fast talking New Yorker. That's all it said. But it was like, hi, you know, I got you these socks and, you know, you can wear them however you want to wear them. Mix and match moose and squirrel, squirrel and moose. And I just. Did you go into the audition with that voice? Yeah, I you did. did. I did. And I, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I just didn't have anything to lose at that point. And I feel like, you know, looking back, there's there are so many kind of versions of Janice and other women that live under that umbrella that I love to play and that live in me. Um, I don't know that I let them out in the early years of my career because I didn't want anybody to know. But um, what, did, was she based on anybody specific? Was she and was she a, what, what was she? Where did you get she Janice? She was a hybrid. <laughs> to me, she was a hybrid of like some women that used to stand at the perfume counters at Bloomingdale's, one in particular that we used to go see all the time. And so, you know, she was there. There. And then, you know, what people ask me to describe the laugh and what that was. And I say, it's like, it's like Arnold Horshack and Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> um, 
or maybe flipper maybe there's a little flipper in there you know i don't know <laughs> i don't know but the laugh was born on the set it wasn't it was i don't think it was written in i think it happened oh my god was written in but the laugh happened because matthew was so funny and so fast and he was you know he was super quick and and i felt you know i was the newbie even though i think i'm in there on the third or fourth episode so everybody was a newbie but they were right the, you know, they were the regulars and i had to you know i had you, you got to do your job really well and really quickly and not hold anything up when you're a guest so uh yeah i just needed to be prepared for when matthew made me laugh and he did so he handed you know we're doing the thing and he's knocking back all the espressos and then he hands me the bowl of coffee and before I've even had a chance to drink it he goes do you want another one and that's when I think the laugh was born I said no <laughs> I'm just I mean, I'm still doing this <laughs> and that was it did you crack him up? you had to crack him up we did crack up we all did yeah it was super super fun um yeah so she yeah she, I don't I, I I'm so grateful that Janice. Did you know that Janice was going to stick around? Was Janice just a one-shot deal when you started? Just one, just in and out. And then, uh, yeah, I was so excited when she came back. And then she came back again. And then she came back again. And then for 10 years. It's fantastic. You know, I just read today about Matthew's by a memoir that's coming out. Did you read oh, about it? I've read about it. I've heard him talk about it on Instagram. And I haven't ordered mine yet. Okay, so... Were you aware th through all of that, what he was going through? Did it impact the work? Did it impact the set? Did it impact you personally with him? I think it did. It impacted everybody, him especially, but everybody, because obviously, you know, when when it's an ensemble piece, it, it depends mm -hmm. on all the players and everybody's mm -hmm. showing up. And, you know, he did show up and he was always funny and he was always ready. But obviously, you know, how he looked changed a lot. He lost mm -hmm. a ton of weight at one point. And, right. uh, you know, my, I lost my brother to drug addiction. So I felt that I, in, in, in certain ways I was uniquely suited to have some conversations with him around that time. And I did try to mm -hmm. do that and just support him. And, um, yeah, just try to be there as a friend. I mean, you know, the tremendous pressure of being somebody who's that famous and in the public eye and, you know, um, I don't, I haven't read the book, so I'm really curious to see how, you know, what Matthew shares about it and what it has been like for him. But, you know, just the pressure of being who they were mm -hmm. at that time and mm -hmm. to be, you know, bringing in those kinds of salaries and, you know, and, and probably really n never having a moment's downtime. Mm -hmm. So I'm, how did that translate to you, Maggie, at that time? Because friends could not have been seen on more screens been a bigger hit you were a big part of it how did your your life had to change too it did and it didn't i mean it definitely did i mean i was i was gainfully employed as an actor so mm -hmm. check that box i was raising <laughs> babies you know i mean juno my first daughter i was pregnant with her at the end of the first season so which they uh, wrote into the they did i came back eight months pregnant <laughs> Um, so fun. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I was raising my babies and that was kind of more of the focus for me. And, and because they were such a sensation and yes, I'm an enormous part of that show and people consider me in all kinds of really phenomenal ways as part of the fabric. Of that yes. Show. But my life was never like their life. I, mm -hmm. I never had people waiting outside my 
door looking through my garbage. You know, it yeah, happened yeah. on a, you know, I can count on one hand how many times something like that has happened. You know, it doesn't mean people don't stop me in the grocery store or stop me at the airport. That kind of stuff happens. But, you know, somebody like Matthew or somebody like Jennifer or any of those people, they can't walk a half a block. Right. So I, my life, you know, in a way, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the size of my career ultimately because it's allowed me to have a, it's allowed me to have the life that I have had mm -hmm. and be really present for my kids. And yeah, I mean, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you get a few things and you don't get a few things, but I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer that question? I don't yes, know. Yes, no, that answers that question. So let's talk about Raymond because that's another interesting oh. story that, oh. and our good friend, Phil, whose show uh, debuted at the sixth season debuted yesterday. Somebody feed Phil Incredible. and his book dropped yesterday and he's got, people lining up for blocks to have him sign it. He's having all this wonderful glory and the stage oh. of his life. So, and Phil was a big advocate of yours, a big fan of yours. So tell, tell us about yeah. Raymond. Phil's amazing. So in the midst of all of that kind of, it's all, it was all happening a little bit at the same time. I, mm -hmm. I read for Raymond. I loved the script so much. I read it. I laughed from first page to last. I'm like, I thought, who is this brilliant writer? And then I went in, I had my little baby Juno uh, with my, my friend Sherry was there. She was, she's not with us anymore, but she was holding Juno in the lobby. I went in, I met Phil and Ray. I said, who wrote this? You know, you, this is crazy brilliant. And then we had such a good time and it was a love fest and they were really excited about me. And I was excited about the show um, to play Ray's wife. And, uh, and it looked really promising and really good. Sometimes when it's too much love in the room, it's not a good sign <laughs> because inevitably when it gets to the suits and the ties and the other people who make the decisions, they don't always align with the people on the artistic side of the fence. So, right. um, so I ran into that with Raymond and, um, uh, I read for it a handful of times. I, that part's a little bit of a blur. I, I, I adore Phil and Ray. And, um, and so when push came to shove, at this point, I was already about to be on another show and uh, where I was fired and replaced by a body redhead. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so oh, I know. Was, I know. What suddenly, Susan. suddenly Susan. Yeah. OK. And we were going to we were shot the pilot and then they got rid of me. But and you were playing a character named Vicky. Oh, yeah. there you go. No. Is that true? Or yeah. Was I, yeah, yeah, yeah. By, I was replaced by Vicky. You were replaced by Vicky. Okay. I knew there was oh, a no, Vicky But maybe my character's name was Vicky. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't but know. anyway, there I was. And then Phil asked me to do him a favor. And I was it was I was honored that he asked me because he said, Will you please come to the network and read read? You're not gonna get it. They're <gasps> they, they they already, you know, they're already they already want this and they already want that, but I really want them to see how I wow. want to be. And that is something that I really hold dear as an actor in my life, my story, my things that have happened to me in this career, that he asked me to come and do that. And some people thought I was crazy to do it. Now, tell me what, tell us why he, he wanted you to do that for you, no, for, for him, him. For, for him. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to see how he imagined the character, even if I they see. weren't going to give it to me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that was, a, that was the greatest praise I could have received. And, and, I, and I, I did it gleefully and joyfully. And I've never done that before. I've never gone to the network having no, no pressure. I'm not getting it. Not getting it. I'm just coming here to do the thing. So anyway, we did, did that. You, it, did it never dawn on you? Well, maybe if I have like the greatest audition of my life, I'm going to yeah. get this part. Of course, you had to think yeah, that. I think yeah. I kept that in my back pocket. Sure. Like, there's a miracle here. But, yeah, yeah. you know, the lovely thing is that Phil wrote me Linda Gruenfelder. 
and I got to be there and uh, and play with Ray and play with the Patty and everybody else. And I had a great time. Wow. And so now I'm, I'm fast forwarding because we've been yakking for a while. Wait, wait, you were on the X-Files. I didn't even, I, I don't, I, I didn't talk to you about this last time. How did, did David do for you what you did for him with Henry? How did that uh, happen? Yeah, in a way. So David suggested me for that part on the X-Files and I auditioned for it, I believe, or else they looked at my reel. I can't remember which, and I got the part. So I've done three jobs for the X-Files. I actually, I wish I had the piece of paper because I, I realized that there were all these weird um, kind of connected things about the three jobs that I've done for the X-Files. So the first one was that I played Sha Detective Sharon Lazard, New York detective who came out to, you know, to uh, figure out what was happening with this, you know, whatever it was, supernatural <laughs> people dying. Um, and so that was so much fun. I went to Vancouver. I had the best time the, when David and I ended up on set for that first moment where he's Mulder and I'm I'm this detective. I burst out laughing. I could not keep it together. He's like, you know, serious, all Mulder like. And I just like, I burst out laughing. So unprofessional. But anyway, we pulled it together and I had a great time. Then he hired me to be a musical director for the baseball episode that he directed. And I um, brought the song, this spiritual, and I, and I worked with the actors and I was in the sound stage, you know, kind of wow. recording of the, of the baseball players singing on the bus. That was really a, a incredible experience. And then he, when um, uh, there's a episode called, I think it's just called William. And it's when it's when um, Jillian Anderson has to give her baby away. And he, and David reached out to me and asked me if I would record a song. And so I recorded um, an acapella version of Michael Row Your Boat Ashore. And that's what's played over this very, very emotional so uh, scene where she has to give her baby away. Um, so I've been very fortunate to play with the X-Files kind of from all kind, all sorts of different um, directions. But I did a podcast for the X-Filey you know, obsessive X-File people. And I was writing things down and looking at dates. And I realized, I wish I had it in front of me, but it was something like, this happened on the 19th, the 4th, the 19th of, the 4 of 19. This happened on 19-4. This happened on, you know, uh, uh, nine, anyway, whatever it was, there were all these strange wow. connections. Uh, I, I, I was so Have happy. Have you and David ever made music together? Because he's um, I have sung back up for, for him on stage when he first started making music. Um, that was super fun. I went down to Venice and uh, to see him play, and uh, he called me up on the stage, and Minnie Driver and I sang background vocals for him. That was super fun. And then um, over the years, he's sent me things as he's written them, and sometimes I'll sing harmonies and send them back to him. And yeah, we haven't, we haven't, but since then we haven't done any performing together. How fun is that? We do talk about music a lot. So okay, so we've talked about what you're doing now as far as this huge project for music this this choral project are you auditioning or have you have you done an acting thing during covid no um i have uh you know <laughs> nor have i mastered the art of the self-tape which is you know the new the new normal um i have auditioned for a handful of things from uh my home and i have uh, you know i was called i had a, like a zoom call back on a show and i didn't get it um yeah so i'm not really sure where all of that is i i i, I released that to the universe and um i actually that's not true i have a little project in the pipeline but i don't think i can talk about it i'm excited about it and it's with the it's with a um, french director and uh, i hope that we're going to be doing it in 
in June, uh, in this com this coming June. That's my that's my hope, and it's going to be very funny, and I'm excited about it. Well, that's my that's hope all for you too. That that's that's good enough. I love that, Maggie. I just adore you, and it's been so lovely just to see your face and yeah. and to spend this time with you. And okay, so tell us again how everybody can can find all the music. Okay, so it, gold get get on my mailing list at goldenbridgechoir.com. That is the first thing uh, you can do. And then there's some stuff that you can buy there. There's a, there's a store and you, you can also, there are two archives there. One is the archive of all the live concerts from the Golden Bridge Choir. And that also includes the um, virtual concerts that we did. Uh, and that's, I think like, I think both archives are like $25 a piece. It's lifetime, you know, membership. And, uh, and then the Together in Song archive, which is really fun is also there and there there are four more uh, episodes of that that i have to edit and get up there uh which I've, I've been dragging on and then uh yeah there's some music up there and there's lots of videos that you can just watch on the watch videos page and on the schedule page there's always upcoming events so you can look at that to find out about the well-held um uh concert which is coming up this sunday and uh and and then yeah if you're on my mailing list i, I send out lots of lots of you know messages about stuff that's coming and that song that you sang for us is that can we find that on, on uh, your site maybe, maybe i'll sing is available as a single because it was part of uh, an incredible event called 10 days to revolutionary love that was put together by valerie cora who's a um, civil rights uh, lawyer and a brilliant amazing woman so i put it up there because it was part of uh, 10 days uh, of revolution revolutionary love and um and so it's there as a single and it will also be part of this compilation that i'm hoping to get up in the next couple of weeks Thank you so much for all that you're doing to bring people together and to fill them, to fill us with song. It's so wonderful. I just so love much. everything that you do and I adore you. I adore you. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thanks. And, and thanks I, to all the people out there that I know and that I don't know. Okay. See you soon. I hope. Bye.